Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Uh, church, this morning uh, we are thrilled to have Talisi Greer back with us. Her and her family are, I know, are loved and appreciated by Pastor Jason and Adriana. She's a friend of our community, and I believe if you have not heard, you're, you're in for a treat, and a dynamic communicator. So let's give a warm welcome, a city, city collective warm welcome, welcome to Tallahassee. Thank you. Please come. Thank you. In 1941, the world was changed forever when a former Belgian minister of defense, known as Victor de Lavallee, suggested in a radio broadcast that Belgians begin to use a hand gesture representing the letter V as a sign or a rallying emblem for victory and freedom during the Second World War. And his idea was that in doing so, Seeing this symbol infinitely repeated around the country, the oppressor would begin to understand that he is surrounded by this vast crowd of citizens who are eagerly watching and waiting for his moment of weakness and defeat. And this caught on, actually, within months. Not only did it spread across Belgium, but it had spread all across occupied Europe. And then years later, we began to see it come up again in the United States as a symbol of protest for anti-war activists during the Vietnam War. In the 60s, hippies began to flash this sign while saying the single word, peace. And it became known through association as we know it today as the peace sign. A, a hand gesture, a simple posture representing this global concept of peace. City Collective Church, it's just so good to be back with you today. I'm thankful to be here, especially as you are journeying through the book of Matthew and um, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount and this morning um, talking about the Beatitudes with you. I just can't wait to dive into this with you. As you may have already guessed, this morning we're going to be talking about peace. Peace, which is not a subject that I would consider myself particularly an expert in, but happens to be the same subject that I spoke to you about the last time I was here back in August. If you missed it or maybe you didn't uh, your brain didn't catalog it as particularly memorable. <laughs> I'll refresh your memory. The last time I was here, we were in the Proverbs, and I talked about Proverbs 12:20, which says that deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. And I always find it interesting when I get asked to come back and speak on a, a similar subject than that for, to one that I just spoke on. It always feels like, okay, God's kind of tapping me on the shoulder and trying to get my attention about this particular thing. And so when Jason asked me to come speak on Matthew 5, 9, which says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It just, it felt like, okay, what is God trying to say to me? You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I call it spiritual deja vu. It's when God kind of brings up the same thing over 
over and over in different ways and different situations in your life. So maybe you hear something in a sermon and then next it comes up in your devotional reading. Maybe then it comes up in a conversation with a friend. And it's just like, it's this thing that's familiar. You've seen it before. It's almost like a glitch in the matrix, if I can even make a reference to a movie that old. Um, but you, you, it feels familiar and yet there's something still kind of uh, mysterious about it. And that's sort of how I felt about this verse when Jason said, would you come and preach on Matthew 5, 9? Now, to his credit, he actually did say, that's where we'll be in the series, but if you'd rather do one of the other verses around it, the one before, the one after, we can shuffle some things around. That would be fine. And I thought, you know, I think I'm going to take him up on that. Um, I think one of the other verses would be easier. And, you know, I just preached on peace to this church, so I don't know, do they really want me to come and give the exact same sermon? all over again. But as I thought about it and processed it and prayed about it, I just couldn't, I couldn't shake this feeling that there was something here for me. And I wonder, I wonder if as we process this verse this morning, if it's not just that God is tapping on my shoulder, but that maybe he is tapping on each of our shoulders to invite us into a conversation about peace that this world really needs to be having right now. Because the reality is <laughs> I'm not the only non-peace expert living in these times. I'm not the only non-peace expert in this room right now. And you know, as much as we can understand maybe what peace is, the reality is that the world that we are living in feels extremely not peaceful in just about every single way. I mean, globally, there's not peace. Culturally, there's not peace. Politically, there's not peace. Internally, for the vast majority of us, there is a whole lot of not peace. And yet Jesus comes in Matthew 5, 9, and he says, become peacemakers. And we're like, yeah, 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 Jesus, I get it. I can see that peace needs to be made. But I'm not even sure if I necessarily know what peace is even supposed to feel like or look like. And so we kind of get stuck in this place because this is the tension. Everywhere we look, there's conflict. There's conflict in our world. There's conflict in our political systems. There's conflict in our churches. There's conflict in our homes. There's conflict in our schools. There's conflict in our relationships. There's conflict even within our own hearts and minds. And yet Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. And sure, we can understand the concept of peace. We can flash a peace sign. We could imagine what world peace might look like, but it, when it comes down to it, I think many of us can't help but wonder, how am I supposed to go out there and make peace when I can't even figure out how to make peace in my own broken life? And there can be this feeling of hopelessness, overwhelm, feeling like Jesus is asking me to go and do this big thing, and, and it's, it's too big. It's above my pay grade. How am I supposed to get there? Well, I want to actually go back to some things that Jason taught on when he opened up this portion of the series on the Sermon on the Mount, or particularly on the Beatitudes. He said it's not as if the Beatitudes are this sort of puzzle that we have to piece together or this, this black and white 
checklist or to-do list we have to check off one by one. It's not a formula. It's not a do this and then get this type of equation. Peacemaking is not the means, nor is blessedness the end. But instead, together, they form this sort of description. And Jason talked about the Beatitudes as a description of the kingdom of God coming into the world and transforming the world. And he said it's almost as if the the people of God are taking the currency of heaven and spending it in the world around them to enrich the lives of the people in that world. And that's, that's kind of how Jason had, had talked about this idea of the Beatitudes. And I think it would, it, the invitation for us with that in mind is to sort of explore or take a look at Matthew 5, 9 as less of a command and more of a characterization if we could do that. And even to look at this word peacemaking and to process what does this word peacemaking mean, if we think about it a little bit differently, because I think for us it feels like a verb. It's something that we have to go and do. But what if we were to think about it as more of something that we could learn to be, to embody? Because actually, if you look at the Greek word that is translated for us in English as a peacemaker or peacemaking, in the, in the Greek, it's this word, poios. And in the Greek, it's actually not a verb. It's an adjective. It's a describing word. And so in English, we see it translated as peacemaker, which is actually a noun, a person who makes peace. But it also can be translated as the English adjective, pacific, not talking about the West Coast, but pacific meaning peaceful in character and intent. Peaceful in character and intent. And so as much as peacemaking is an action and one that we can represent with a physical hand posture, peacemaking is also an adjective that describes the heart posture of a father and the children who are living in right relationship with him. And as we understand that peacemaking is at the heart of God's character and we become transformed more and more into his likeness, we begin to be characterized by this radical idea of peacemaking as well. And um, I think to understand that, it's important for us to take a bit of a step back and actually just dive into this idea of peace and understand when Jesus's audience heard him speaking about this, what it was that they heard him saying, what, what was their understanding of this idea of peace. So that's where we're going to start today. So to give you a little bit of a roadmap for the morning, we're going to break down this verse into two sections. We're going to talk about the first part, blessed are the peacemakers. We're going to talk about peace. We're going to talk about what is peacemaking? And we'll, we'll talk about the Prince of Peace, Jesus, who is the great peacemaker and, and how he brings this idea of peacemaking to us. And then we'll talk about part two, for they will be called children of God. And we'll talk about how in, in some way children often resemble their parents, you know, whether that's in physical features or sometimes it's learned mannerisms or characteristics, but in, in many ways, children often resemble their parents. And so we'll look at this idea um, of, of what it looks like for us as image bearers of God 
resemble the character of God when peacemaking is so central to his character. So that's where we're headed. But before we dive in this morning, I'd love to just take a moment to breathe and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to know you through your word. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace and that by your example, we also can learn to become a peacemaking people. And I just pray that as we dive into your word this morning and dive into Matthew 5, 9, that you would speak to us, that each of us would connect with you and hear from you specifically where we are at, whatever it is that you want to say to us today, may we be open to hear that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk about peace. We already talked about how for many of us in this world that we're living in, peace can feel like kind of a foreign concept. And my guess is that it felt much the same to Jesus' audience living in first century Palestine. I mean, the, the Israelites were a people group who had, whose national identity was riddled with war and conflict. Israel itself as a nation had undergone their own civil war and had split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, known as Israel, Israel, took on the name of Israel. Uh, they were later exiled by Assyria and basically annihilated. And then the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah and later became the audience to whom Jesus taught, um, they were also exiled and carried off into captivity by Babylon, who was then later bought out and taken over, so to speak, by, um, by Persia. And then by the time Jesus comes around and comes onto the scene, now this, this nation of Judah is owned and occupied by the Romans. And so they've just been passed around from evil empire to evil empire for centuries. And, and, and when Jesus comes onto the scene, they're living in this time of destitution and this time of, of, of oppression and groaning. You know, they're, they're being oppressed by the Roman government, the Roman army. They are living in poverty, wondering where does their next meal come from? You know, how am I going to clothe my family? They're stricken with leprosy. They're heavily taxed. And this is the climate that Jesus is born into and raised in and later begins to teach about peace. And like, I can't help but think, what do these people know about peace? Well, it's interesting that the Hebrew word for peace it, and their concept of peace is actually much more robust than what we have in English. And you might be familiar with the Hebrew word for peace. It's this word shalom. Maybe you've heard that before. And, and shalom really refers to a state of wholeness or completion. And there's an excellent video I would highly recommend um, done by the Bible Project that is about this concept of peace and shalom. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking I'll ask the team to link to it in the sermon notes online because it really rounds out what this is all about. So I'll take a few ideas from there and then you can watch it later if you're interested. But shalom referring to this idea of wholeness or completeness, it says shalom, the word, can actually refer to uh, a perfect stone with a perfect stone shape shape without any, you know, scratches or blemishes, or it could even refer to a, a perfect stone wall that is fully complete. It doesn't have any missing bricks or gaps in the wall. And so it's this idea of something rather complex 
that is in a state of completeness, of wholeness. And so when we think of it in terms of our personal well-being, we understand that life itself is made up of lots of different moving parts. And when those parts shift or malfunction and come out of, you know, misaligned, they become misaligned, then our shalom can actually break down and needs to be restored. And so as much as shalom can kind of mean peace in the way we think of peace, you know, and uh, lack of conflict and serenity and calmness. It, it means something bigger than that. It's this idea of wholeness and completion. And this was the understanding that Jesus's audience would have had about this idea of peace. And although they may not have lived in the daily experience of that feeling of shalom, they would have had this big picture understanding of what that might look like. And they also would have understood it in the context of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so when they had scriptures like Numbers 2.26, where it says that the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, they would have had this understanding that to experience this total completeness and wholeness is something that can only be found in the presence of God. Or in Leviticus 26, 6, where God says, I will grant you peace in the land and make you lie down and nobody will make you afraid. They would have understood that this is more than just a time without war, but that to come into alignment with God is to opt into a life of completeness and wholeness that only the almighty God of the universe can bring into the life of a nation or a community or an individual. And so they may not have experienced in their daily lives that feeling of shalom, they would have had this deep understanding of what that looks like, and they would have known that to take a posture of peacemaking would be to live life on this mission to bring wholeness into broken places. And that's exactly the posture that Jesus took, isn't it? That's exactly the posture that Jesus took. Jesus' entire life and mission was about this and nothing else. To restore shalom. To bring creation back into completeness and into community with the creator. To usher in wholeness and healing into these spaces where there had only been brokenness. There's a reason that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, and it's not because he came to do certain things or act a certain way or check off certain boxes on his peacemaking agenda, but it's because he embodied peace. He is peace. It's, it's in the way that he carries himself. It's who he is, because peacemaking is not about performance. Peacemaking is about posture. Peacemaking isn't about performance, it's about posture. And we talked about this idea of peacemaking as an adjective, a describing word. And when I think of posture, I think of ways you might describe a person, right? So if someone has a, a tall and strong posture and they hold their head high and their shoulders back, you might describe someone with that posture as a confident person or maybe an arrogant person. 
or somebody who kind of has a posture like this where they slouch into their shoulders and they kind of try to avoid taking up any space in the world, you might describe that posture as maybe insecure or maybe a little bit timid. But in the same way that these physical postures are way that, ways that we could describe the way someone presents themselves in the world, peacemaking is a heart posture that describes and inwardly informs how we interact with the world around us. And the product of that posture, what comes out of our lives when we position ourselves in this posture of peacemaking, is a constant commitment to bring wholeness into broken places. That's what peacemaking is. Peacemaking is a constant commitment to bring wholeness into broken places places. And to be really clear, this isn't about avoiding conflict. I talked about this very briefly the last time I was here, that peace isn't, isn't the absence of conflict. In fact, sometimes to experience true shalom, we actually first have to experience conflict. There has to sometimes be conflict first. And, and it's easy for us to read these words, blessed are the peacemakers, and to sort of fill in our own definition of peace. It's, it's calm, it's tranquility, it's this, it's that. But if Jesus is the prince of peace, then peace is centered in his mission, which is the gospel. And that means that to be someone who promotes peace is sometimes a thing of confrontation, and it's sometimes quite uncomfortable because to many people the gospel can be confrontational and uncomfortable. And so in our lives we actually have to learn how to lean into the conflict and, and walk all the way through the conflict even when sometimes that means bearing the weight of pain so that we can get to the other side of that conflict where true shalom is waiting for us and that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He waited, he, he placed himself directly in the path of conflict and waited all the way through it to the other side where shalom was waiting for every one of us. And so the question for us is what does it look like for us to follow that example? What does it look like for us to embody peace? For us to take on this posture that is committed to bringing wholeness into broken places, particularly when we oftentimes feel so broken ourselves. What does that look like? And in fact, I think often it starts with us realizing that we need to come into this place of shalom. We need God to restore the brokenness in our own lives, because until we do that, we can't really spread that around, right? What does it look like? I want to look at the second half of this verse. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And I think about, you know, in the, in the Beatitudes, there are all these big promises, like they're going to be called the children of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like, that's big. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, and I sometimes wonder, like, was it specifically important that the peacemakers 
are assigned to this promise that they will be called children of God, you know, I kind of wonder, like, did Jesus just have, like, two baskets, and over here on little slips of paper, he wrote down all the traits that sounded really good, like pure in heart, the meek, the peacemakers, and then in this basket, he had a few more slips of paper, and he wrote down some promises, like, okay, kingdom of heaven, and, um, you know, see God, and they will be comforted, that one's not quite as epic, let's see, um, inherit the earth, that's a good one, and then he takes one from this basket and one from this basket and tosses them together and boom, the perfect beatitude, right? Do you think it might have been like that? Or could it have been a little bit more intentional? Here's what I think. I think that when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God, what he's really doing is he's describing a family, He's describing what it's like to be a part of his family. And as much as this is not often the case in our world, in many cases, family can be the most broken place in our world. Family is intended to be a place of peace, a community of shalom, harmony, and love. This is the intention for family, and, and it's true that in many cases that is not what we experience in our broken world when it comes to family. And if that's you, I believe that God is saying to you that you are welcome in this family and that this is a picture of what it looks like to be in the family of God. Romans 8, 14 says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are called the children of God. And I'm going to read this little section here because it's just got some rich wisdom that we need to learn from. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. When we come into relationship with God, we are grafted into this shalom family, not as slaves, not as hired hands, not as illegitimate children, but as heirs, daughters, and sons with an inheritance coming. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, this isn't him saying you got to figure out how to do the work of peacemaking so that you can be called God's child. This is actually him just describing what it looks like to be a part of God's family. He's saying we are a peacemaking people in this family. He's just talking about when you live in this posture of peacemaking, you actually bear resemblance to your father, and you can more easily be identified as one of his children. And, and it's not only that, but it's this acknowledgement of the fact that as his, his God's child, as an heir, you take and accept responsibility for, you know, the family mission or the family work you know, if you've ever been a part of a family that has owned a, a family business or a family farm, you might have an idea of what I'm saying. But it's like, it's like Jesus is saying, when you're a child of God, you become a part of the family business, an heir, and as such, you accept ownership to carry out the mission and the work of the Father, which is to bring wholeness into broken places. 
And, and Jesus talks about this not only in the Beatitudes, but he talks about it a little bit later in Matthew um, 5, 43 to 45. And I'm going to read that to you. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. Because children resemble their parents. And you were created to reflect the image of God. And to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you is to do the work of peacemaking. In fact, I would say that this might be like the best framework that we have for what peacemaking is and what it can look like in practical terms for us as human beings. It's like the, the most clear that the Bible lays it out. It's, it's love and it's prayer. Pray and love. Because the posture of peacemaking is rooted in prayer and rendered in love. Let me say that again. The posture of peacemaking is rooted in prayer and rendered in love. So when we choose to act in love toward our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, we're actually bringing our hearts into alignment with God's heart for those people and, and we're positioning ourselves in this posture of peacemaking. And enemies might be like kind of an extreme word. Maybe you don't feel like you have any real enemies, people who like hate you and are literally out for your blood. Maybe you do. Uh, but if peacemaking is just bringing wholeness into broken places, then the enemies we're talking about here really can just be those people that we find ourselves living in conflict or in broken relationship with. And maybe you're thinking, oh, no, no. I could never make peace with that person. There's no way that even if I wanted to, they wouldn't even be interested. And that's why I come back to this, that, that, that it starts with prayer. That we begin with praying for those who persecute you, loving your neighbors, and, and we begin with prayer. I don't know who this is. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a a coworker, I don't know, an, an ex-partner or a friend that stabbed you in the back. I don't know who it is, but I'm guessing that for many of us, there's somebody or a group of somebodies that comes to mind when we talk about this. And we need to begin here with this idea that the posture of peacemaking is rooted in prayer. This is the foundation. There's no point in even starting the work, the rendering, if you will, if we have not first put down the roots. But when you do this and you begin to invest prayerfully into those broken places, I believe that posture begins to form in you. And it's like physical posture. Like, did you know that there are actual exercises we could be doing every day to improve our posture? And that this is kind of important because it strengthens our bodies and makes, it, it makes us less likely to suffer from injury? Like, imagine less back pain. <laughs> And yet none of us do those exercises. Prayer is that exercise that strengthens the posture of peacemaking in our lives. And so we begin with prayer. And then we move to love. First we pray for love. Like God, fill my heart with love for this person. Show me what it looks like to actually love them the way you love them. To see them the way that you see them. We start with prayer. And then we start to ask God to give us wisdom 
about how we can actually bring that love into action and start bringing wholeness into that broken place. And this is a prayerful dance that we do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is the one who gives peace in the first place. Peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so we do this always in this prayerful dance with the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, this posture of peacemaking begins to be rendered in you. And you become a peacemaker who is called a child of God. And blessed are you. Fortunate are you. Congratulations, as Jason taught on the meaning of this word blessed when this series started. Congratulations, you are a peacemaker. Congratulations, you look like your father. You look like God. You look like Jesus, the Prince of Peace. My question that I would love to leave you with as you go into the week is just this. What is your heart posture toward the broken places in your life and in the world around you? Are you in this posture that is ready to be committed to bringing wholeness into those broken places? Or are you not quite there yet? Does it maybe need to begin with God bringing wholeness into you, bringing you into this space of shalom. Maybe you're hesitant, maybe you're skeptical, not so sure. Not so sure you're ready to enter into this dance with the Holy Spirit. I would invite you to take some time to process this question this week, to just reflect on it um, and examine your heart. What is your heart posture toward those broken places? and toward the brokenness that you see around you. And then start to pray into those broken places. Begin with prayer, and then move to love. Because the posture of peacemaking is rooted in prayer and rendered in love. Let's talk to God. Lord, you are good. And I just know that in this room represented in these seats, there is brokenness. In my own life, there's a whole lot of brokenness, God. And I pray right now that as we are processing these words of Matthew 5, that you would begin to restore shalom. That you would begin to restore wholeness into these broken places. First, God, Restore us, restore our shalom, restore our peace, restore us to wholeness, and then put us on mission. Help us to understand that as heirs, as children of God, we get to partner with you in bringing wholeness into the brokenness in our lives and in our world. God, I'm so grateful that you invite us to be a part of your mission, that you call us your children. And so I pray that as we go out from here, that you would help us to be honest with ourselves this week as we process this question. Help us to be honest with ourselves and help us to listen to you and help us to begin investing prayerfully into those broken places in our lives. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. 
To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.